So this is Pete Bauer from the Pete Bauer blog. Thank you for joining us today. These last couple of podcasts, we've been talking about the development of our Gabby Wells novel and some of the steps and stuff we've done and are learning along the way. We want to talk a little bit about our finishing the book and the marketing strategies that we have that we plan to utilize. Of course, many of them will remain secret for our benefit. (laughs) So how are we going to share those exactly? We're not sure. But we haven't gotten to the marketing phase yet. So these things may change and and we'll let you know as we go along. Let's talk about finishing the book. We've had a lot of rewrites, as we've mentioned. We're at number what about? 97.3, I think is what we decided. Yes, (laughs) 97.3. Oh, yes. I, I'm kind of hoping that 100 is our last draft because it'd be kind of cool just to have that be the one that people read. Yeah, I think if we go past that triple digit, um, <laughs> I may have to just kill myself at that point <laughs> with a pencil. Um, it has gone through a lot of drafts, but it, it was necessary given the nature of the story going from a movie trilogy to a television show into a novel. They're very different forms of writing. And you had to teach yourself to write and think in a way completely different from the one that you were already writing and thinking in. So it's um it's been a very long journey, but we've overcome it and it's been great. And I, I really do believe this is going to be a story that people enjoy and it's it's definitely come a long way. And I'm excited about it. I think it's very well done. It has been an interesting process to retrain my brain to think as a novelist. It's just the scenes are all the same in my head. It's just how you describe them. I mean, I literally had to rewire my brain that way. And one of the things that we're, we found is, is really critically important in this process, whether you've lived with the book 99 times or lived with the book just <laughs> five or 10. 97.3. Is 97.3 is beta readers. Now, beta readers are people that you trust that will read the book near its finished stage to give you an objective feedback to what you've written. Because whether you're on draft 5, 10, or 97.3, you have been living with the story. And there's so many times where I have found that I thought for sure I was expressing what was in my brain onto paper very well. And it's amazing how many times someone will say, well, I kind of get what you mean, but it's not clear enough. And it's just sometimes there's a disconnect there. Even when you read it, you're seeing it the way you thought it, not necessarily the way you're presenting it. And we've had a tremendous group of family and friends that have helped us do it. We're in the middle of the beta reading process. We're going to do two phases. And going off what you said a little bit earlier about reading what you are actually thinking instead of what's actually on the paper, it's another reason that beta readers are so incredibly important is because you may have people that you've worked with through your whole process before you go to beta readers, but they may be so close to the story, just as equally as close to the story as you are, that they can't actually give you an objective opinion. I mean, aside from the fact that I'm your daughter and we think in very similar ways, I've also read the story so many times that I could read it and I could remember different drafts or I could know what you were getting at. So I would understand the story. But then, you know, mom might ask me something and be like, oh, well, he means this. But oh, yeah, that's not actually on the paper. So um, when you've been so close to a story for such a long time, it's really, really critical to have other people kind of give their feedback because you want people outside of your immediate circle to let you know how it is. Because the people who know you really well are obviously going to be able to understand what you're getting at a little bit better. So that's also had a lot of really great value as well. Yeah. And the beta readers, you want to set them up so that you are 
asking them to read the book and, and keep it confidential because it's not a finished draft. So you don't want them to be talking about the story or getting any of the specifics or any of the details or the, the story itself leaked out to anybody, even, even inadvertently, because it's not the draft that you're going to release. And you also want them to provide feedback, that honest feedback, in a way that will help you create a better draft. One of the things that we did is that we used SurveyMonkey to create a survey so that when the people were done reading the draft, we gave them a specific time frame that they, they would need to, to do it. And if and we asked more than the, the, the first group of beta readers. It's just these were the people that could fit our timeline. So we said, look, we need you to be able to read this book or within a week and give us our your feedback and then all the other criteria we mentioned before. There were people that were interested that just couldn't help out during that time frame. But at the end of that week, we had them go to fill out a survey online where they could answer the questions that we felt would give us the best insight into what was important to us and the story that was working and areas that needed improvement. So when we created this survey, what we were really trying to get at, especially with this first round of beta readers, was how they responded to Gabby, how they responded to the overall mystery, and how they responded to the faith journey. Those are the three main elements of the story. And um, we wanted to make sure that pacing was good, but really that people found Gabby someone that they could identify with and, and really empathize with her and her story and with the cases that she was solving in the book. So... We really directed our questions toward that at the beginning and then sort of directed them as well towards, you know, what are some issues you found? Um, How did you feel about these aspects of the story? Were there any proofreading or grammatical things that you felt really interfered with the story? Those kinds of things. And, And one of the most interesting critiques that we got actually was a definition of the genre of our book that we hadn't previously defined. Like we'd always just looked at Gabby Wells as being a mystery. But one of our readers actually defined it as a certain kind of mystery that she wasn't exactly responsive to. She enjoyed the book and she gave us some really good advice, but she said because it was this kind of mystery and not another kind of mystery, she was less enthusiastic about that part of the story. And that was just her personal preference. So it gave us another clear focus as to where we wanted to go in the future and how we wanted to sell the story. Right, because you're not going to please everybody and that's okay. I mean, she enjoyed the book, but it was the type of mystery. It's a subgenre of the mystery story type that just didn't appeal to her. She liked the story. She liked the characters and everything. It was just kind of like, I don't like romance novels. So if there was a mystery that was heavy in romance, I'd be like, well, I enjoyed the book and I enjoy the character, but it's just not my type of book. I would never pick that that thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that was interesting, too, because like you said, when you look at marketing, it made us realize, wow, that's something we need to define clearly and we need to focus and make sure we make it clear to the to the readers that it's this type of mystery versus another type of mystery. Because the one thing you don't want is to disappoint people or to sell your product falsely, even you know purposely or inadvertently. You don't want people to buy something and then give you a bad feedback because they didn't get what they thought they were getting. So that was a really simple but helpful way to go, wow, we need to be very clear about what type of mystery this is. And we both started off as filmmakers and then transitioned into novels, but one of the most important lessons I've ever learned in regards to storytelling was actually something that Alfred Hitchcock said. And there were two quotes he said. One was that you have to honor the audience's intelligence, which is very important. And the second was that 
you have to make sure that the movie is worth the price of admission, the price of the babysitter, and the price of popcorn. It has to be worth it. So you can't betray your customer's expectations as well. And I think both of those lessons transition into any form of storytelling or any medium that you work in. You have to honor what your audience and what your customers expect. And really, you can't betray what they came to you for. You know, you provide them with an escape or with a story or with something that they can identify with. And if you betray that trust, that you have that implicit trust with your customers, they're not going to be as likely to come back to in the future. So I think that acknowledging that and saying this is the kind of story it is, but this is the reason it's that kind of story and this is where she's going and all that other stuff, it ends up making it worth it. Because given Gabby's story and her character arc, I think that it's a really crucial part of her growth as a person. But at the same time, you want to make sure that when people come in and buy your book, they, they're getting what they want. Because if they don't, it could be a phenomenal book. But if you sold it to them under false pretenses, they're still going to talk badly about it. And as we all know, negative press travels far far more quickly than positive press does. So it's really important to be honest with your customers. Yeah. And one thing I learned when I was a waiter, one of my managers said, is that statistics show that, and I was a waiter a long time ago, by the way, Um, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't like recently, but the statistics show that um, when people have a bad experience, they share it with seven people. When they have a good experience, they share it with three. So his motto was, if, if anything's wrong, whether you did something wrong or the kitchen did something wrong or whatever, or the customer just isn't happy, offer them a piece of pie. If they want it, great. If they don't want it, great. But the point is you're trying to take that seven out of 10 and make four of those people not say anything, right? So they may not be the three out of 10, but they're not going to say bad things about it either. And the same respect, again, you don't want to misrepresent it. You don't want people going, this isn't the type of book. This book's a lie. Don't read it. You don't want to see that on your Amazon reviews, you know? So that was a good insight. And one of the other things, a very basic question we asked in our beta readers is just rank it. What, you know, using the Amazon scale one to five, what is your your ranking? And if it isn't a five, why isn't it a five for you? Like, what is the one piece of the puzzle that's keeping you from going, no, this is awesome? Is it plot? Is it pacing? Is it character? Is it structure? What is it? And what was interesting for the people that didn't say it was a five is that all of those were very individual. What was good about it was that for the people who didn't vote for a five, none of them were consistent. So there wasn't a consistent flaw. It was a personal taste. And that's okay. Because honestly, this first group of beta readers is not in the target demographic. It's people that we trust, but they're not high school students or or, uh, middle school students or college students. That's okay. The reasons they may or may not know one minor aspect of it. We'll see. If that translates over to the younger demographic, then that's something we'll have to address. And one of the other things to keep in mind is that critical acclaim does not always equal sales. You could have a very remarkable book. It could be beautiful. It could make people's hearts break and it could change their lives. And all of a sudden they've got two souls instead of one. You know, you (laughs) never know what's going to happen when you write stories and you really pour your heart into them. It could be a truly phenomenal story. It really could. But if it's not something that appeals to readers, they're not going to buy it. There have been very, very many critically acclaimed books and movies and television shows that just haven't been my personal preference. And I can appreciate them and say... You know, it was a great movie. It really was. I'm never going to watch it again, but it was a great movie. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you have to keep in mind is that when you are self-publishing, you kind of want to make sure that you're reaching out to your target audience because you're not one of those people who's like, I just want my story out there in general. Most of the time, you're one of those people who's like, I want to sell my story. So you have to keep that in mind as well, is that you could have a great book, but you also have to make sure you're reaching out to your target audience and that it's something, the kind of story that they want to read or that they respond well to. Yeah. And to use the continue with the film metaphors, there's Academy Award winning movies and then there's popcorn movies. 
Transformers 3, Dark Side of the Moon, isn't going to win an Academy Award, well, maybe for special effects, but it's not going to win Best Picture, but it's going to make a heck of a lot more money than the Best Picture, usually. And so there's two types of stories there. There's the artistic story, and then there's the general popcorn story. We specifically geared ours to be more of an enjoyable summer read, because we just thought that was more applicable and more enticing to the people. I mean, there's depth and characters and struggle and and mayhem and sacrifice all in there. We're trying to create a very entertaining story. And that's really what it comes down to is knowing your story and owning that and being proud of that and then knowing how to market that. And that was actually one of the reasons, knowing how to market our story, that we started our own publishing company because we realized that we knew how to market it and no one else did. Yeah, and that's not that's not arrogance or anything. That's just that there's not a lot of stories with a Catholic heroine that is trying to live a good life, live to the high demands of her faith while some pretty cataclysmic things are going on in her personal life. There's just not a lot of stories like that. We would like nothing better to have found publishers that already figured this out. You know, we can piggyback on some of their ideas in the general genre, the young adult genre area. But the specific aspects of our book, we just couldn't find any other books that were really dealing with that. So again, we don't say that in arrogance or anything. It's just like, well, no one's figured this out. So maybe we'll be the ones that figure this out. And then people will come to us with books that are fit that model and go, oh yeah, you're the guys that figured this out? Great. Will you help us publish this book? So that was one of the reasons we created Sunlight Press. So when we began our marketing approach, we had to think about a lot of different things. The most important of which was what does our target audience do? There's a lot of focus on social media nowadays and for good reason. It's taken over 90% of people's lives. But at the same time, it doesn't always reach out to the part of people's personalities that you want to reach out to. Like, I see so many memes that I think are hilarious that I would share on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. But that doesn't translate into me buying anything. Yeah, because social media, to a certain extent, has become so common that it's also, for a lot of people, become almost... It's so interesting to say this, but it's almost a passive experience, right? So... I go into Facebook and I'll check out what's going on in my family and friends or whatever, but I'm not actively engaged in them. It's a false activity. It's a false like connection, really. It's a virtual connection. So I'll check out what's going on and I'll see pictures of their kid's birthday or their vacation or some really good food that they're eating. I hate those. <laughs> but I'll see that and I'll like it or comment on it, but that's not a face-to-face connection. That's not a true word-of-mouth experience. Very few times do things go viral on Facebook, and that's true word of mouth, right? That's when you really care about it and you're really sharing it. And some of those viral things are an actual connection to a subject matter. But most of social media, I mean, Twitter is oftentimes just a one-way street, you know? Facebook is connecting, but virtually. And all the other things are Pinterest or Tumblr or whatever. They're, they're different areas of that. But, but at the end of the day, they're not true, true connections in the same sense that you could get face-to-face. So if I were to see you and have dinner with you face-to-face and say, I read this really great book, you're going to love it. That's going to mean a lot more to you than if I just say, check this book out or like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It doesn't have the same effect. So one of the things that you really have to consider when you're approaching marketing is, again, what does your target demographic do? What does your target audience do? What are they interested in? What do they like to do in their free time? What do they think about? What relationships do they care about? What are their favorite television shows? What are they reading? What are they struggling with? What do they need help with? What are they seeking advice with in the world? And you have to honor all of that. Even if you look at some choices that 
I'm sure older people look at choices that the younger generations have made and go, wow, that's stupid. Or I completely disagree with that. That's fine. Actually, you know what we say? Thank God Facebook wasn't around when we were a teenager. (laughs) But even if you feel that way, you have to honor that that's what matters to them at their time of life. And Mm -hmm. not just because you're trying to get them to buy something from you, but because you genuinely have to respect who they are and what they care about. And so that was one of the most important things. So what we did is we sat down and we talked about our target demographic, which was Christian teens and Catholic teens and young adults. And we sat down and we said, well, what do they do? Well, people who are really passionate about their faith, they usually go to conferences or they'll go to retreats or they will, you know, wear shirts or go on protest events or something like that. But people or mission trips, especially, but people who are really active in their faith, they'll go to youth group, they'll sit and they'll talk about their faith, they'll talk about it with their friends, they'll join volunteer groups, they'll do all this stuff. And those were really the people we were targeting is people who are passionate about their faith, because we thought they'd be the most responsive to this kind of story. So we sat down and said, okay, so let's say all these people, the ones who are really active, they're active in these certain social groups. Now, How do we reach out to them? What do they interact with? What's going to be more important to them? And when you identify those values, then you're going to be more likely to actually reach your target audience. But what it really came down to was us sitting down one day and going, what do they do with their time? Yeah. And that's where the use of social media actually comes in handy because social media, I mean, it can be used for a lot of things. And there's some very skilled people who use social media tremendously effectively. But a lot of times it's like billboards, right? It's awareness. So when you're a self-published or a new author and you're out there trying to get this book out, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you want people to buy your book because it's a business and you want people obviously to purchase your book because you don't write a specific genre Catholic fiction suspense thriller because you think you're going to be J.K. Rowling. You're writing that because you feel you're called to do that. There's a passion to do that. And you want it in the young adult's hands because you think it will help them have a healthy faith journey. You're like, how can we then get this exposure? How can we make them aware of this Sunlight Press that has never existed before, this this Gabby Wells book that has never existed before, this author that they haven't heard of? How are we going to turn that all those unknowns into knowns? And not only knowns, but I want to actually read it. So that's where the social media aspect can certainly come in handy. There's things that Facebook allows you to do in advertising and promoting your work where you can get very, very specific about who you're trying to reach. You could say, well, I want to send this ad to people who are between ages of, I don't know, 12 and 20, and that like these Christian musicians and go to church and involved in youth groups and like these movies and like these books. And it'll send the ads only to those people. So it's a great way to make awareness. And that may turn into interest and that interest may turn into purchase. But that's the real challenge is you identify your market And then you had to figure out how to make them aware of you and how then to turn that awareness into interest and eventually purchase. So that's our marketing strategy. And as we roll that out, we will keep you guys updated as to how it goes and whether it's successful or whether we're going to flounder on the beach. But hopefully it's successful. Hopefully we found a good way to honor our target audience and provide them with something that they've really been missing in their lives. Yep. And we have some really cool ideas, which I'm not going to share right now about creating some awareness of the book. I'm really excited about that. Once we try them, we'll be honest if they succeeded or failed. You can learn along with us. I mean, we told you we had 97.3 drafts. We'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, we're not hiding anything. (laughs) We'll let you know how the techniques work. 
But the next phase for us is that we, like I said, we're finishing up with our first group of beta readers. The second group of beta readers will be in the target demographic specifically. The first group, we chose not to do that because we really just wanted an outsider objective viewpoint of people we knew and trusted. Once we tweaked that, we then wanted to go, because we think we're very close to the final edit phase of the book, then we'd go to the target demographic and see if the type of story is connecting with them the way we think they do. And after that, the final step would be to go to an editor to do that final grammatical step, punctuation, if there's anything else that's missing character-wise. It depends. There's a lot of different editing. There's development editing and copy editing and proofreading and all that. And what's great about the self-publishing world now is there's a lot of really highly qualified editors that make themselves available. And you can get an edit for a 65, 70,000 word book for like 500 bucks or something like that, generally. I mean on average, depends on the type of editing you're doing. So it's not prohibitively expensive, but it is it is an investment. One other thing too that we're thinking about marketing is the idea of prequels. We talked a little bit about some of the resources that we've used to educate ourselves in publishing, and we talked about the idea of funnels that are the people over at the self-publishing podcast talk about a lot. And the idea is that you get as many people into that funnel as possible, and a small percentage of those will continue on and end up purchasing something at the end. And the beginning of that funnel, to that enticement, is usually something free. Since the Gabby Wells book novels is a series, usually what you would do is you'd give away the first book if you have more than one book available. And then people read the second and third book, hopefully. Since the next book we're releasing is the first book we're releasing in the series, we realized that in order to create a funnel, we needed to create a free product. And what we're going to do is write a prequel. And we'll actually write a number of prequels. These will be novellas around 25 or 30,000 words. And there'll be mysteries and thrillers that'll take place prior to the novel series. And it's kind of fun because when the novel series happens, there's a lot of pretty dramatic things that occur in these characters' lives. And so it's nice to explore a little bit of their life before that, before things got really heavy and challenging. And so it's a lot of fun. We're writing the first one called The Homecoming Incident. Which is really funny because in the first book, in the like second chapter, one of the things defining the main character, Gabby, was that they mentioned this homecoming incident in passing. And so we used that passing reference to generate a whole prequel. And we said, well, let's write a book about the homecoming incident. So we crafted a story about the homecoming incident. Our original plan of releasing the first book of the novel will be delayed until we can make available this prequel. When you try to make something available for free, it's not easy to do right away because Amazon doesn't make any money from a free book. So what you have to do is release it onto Amazon as a 99 cent book. That's the cheapest book you can sell. And then you release it on other platforms like Barnes & Noble or Kobo. And then you get one of those or both of them to offer it for free eventually. And then you ask Amazon to price match. And then Amazon will price match the free for free. And then you can start using that as a funnel. So because of that, we've delayed the release of the first book of the series because we want to get this prequel in place. It's going to be a really fun book. It's a very fun mystery. It illuminates a lot of the aspects that are in the novels, the characters, the faith journey, the challenges. But And it also gives you enough backstory that what happens in the novels will carry a lot more weight with you if you read the prequels. And so the last thing I wanted to talk about, too, is that one of the people that's been really instrumental in helping the creation of this novel and kind of guide me through the process of from screenwriter to novelist is C.F. Long. And I've known C.F. Long for quite a while. She's a very gifted writer, but she knew this was my story, my passion project. 
And so she doesn't want to be involved in any of the press or the limelight, or if there is any limelight, but any of that. She just, it wasn't important. Her participation in the project was because she's a friend of mine and because she wanted to help. And she's been really great at smoothing out the rough edges. She'll be included in the uh, title as a with, with, so it'll be written by Pete Bauer with C.F. Long. It wasn't necessary, but I kind of insisted on that because of how much she's meant to be in this overall process. No, this process really has been a huge collaboration between so many people that's meant so much to us in our lives, between some old friends and colleagues to C.F. Long and our editors. It's just been really wonderful to receive so much support. So if you are interested in writing a story and you think there are people that can help you, definitely reach out to them because it's been hugely instrumental to us. And we've been really grateful for that whole process and for the people who've helped us out. Yeah. And there's someone else that has helped a lot that I won't name because she's helped me a lot with how to approach the novel. She's been very patient during a lot of these processes. She's done light edits on them, but she used to be a book editor, but she doesn't do that anymore. She's involved in other aspects of the book industry. And so she didn't really want me to publicize that she was doing that for me because she doesn't do that anymore. She was doing it for me as a friend. I'd like to thank her even though I can't. (laughs) If you're doing something you're really passionate about and people see that, they're going to want to help you. And there have been so many great people in this process. I've been telling stories in one way or another for most of my life. So I know how to tell a story. I just wasn't skilled at telling a story in novel form. And so that process, that learning curve, all those drafts, all those edits, all those meetings, all those different hints and guides and helpful tips and so forth, all that stuff, down to the beta readers now and editors, it's been wonderful. And now my brain knows how to write a novel. It totally gets it. But so many people were instrumental in getting me from A to B. And thank God for that, because without them, either this book would have been released in a horrendous (laughs) life, like embarrassing forever, because it's the internet. It would never go away. It would Mm -hmm. be like the most embarrassing thing ever. And it would haunt me for the rest of my life. So it's been wonderful that people have been patient and giving and selflessly giving. That's been the nicest thing is um, people just offering to help because they see the passion that you have and they want to help you reach that, that goal. So we really just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of the people who've been so helpful to us, to all of our beta readers, to all of our supporters, to our editors, to our special unnamed editor, to C.F. Long and everyone else who's helped us out through this whole process. It's been wonderful. And thank you guys for listening. We hope you'll join us next time. Yep. So we will let you know as we go along in this process, we will share the dirty and ugly details with you, our <laughs> successes and our failures. I'm pretty sure the failures were out outpaced the successes, but that's okay. That's the learning process. You can't succeed without failing. So I'm sure we have uh, plenty of, hopefully both in our future. So anyway, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>